0: I don't know about you, but I thought it was really good planning to have a children's story on taking naps just before the sermon. Uh, Really smart, really smart. Chris leaned over to me and he said, Naps and sermons are the same thing, aren't they? So this is the second in our sermon series on Jesus as Lord, even of the Sabbath that when we look to Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath, we understand more of who Jesus is, um, what the kingdom is that he talks about, and what discipleship is. And as we go through Lent, we'll be exploring different aspects of Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. When Jesus says, uh, no one knows The Son, but the Father, and no one knows the Father but the Son and those to whom the Son reveals them. Um, Jesus is making a statement, according to the rabbis, that He is God. And then He goes on to say, And I will give you rest. And that is the Lord of the Sabbath's job to give rest. So in the rabbi's mind, Jesus is again saying here, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So he's saying something not only about himself, but about discipleship in the kingdom of God. Come unto me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Why is it so hard to rest? of all the spiritual disciplines, scripture reading, attending worship, prayer, attendance to communion, fasting, I think Sabbath, observing the Sabbath, taking a day off is the hardest. I think it's much easier to fast than it is to observe the Sabbath. You know, Sometimes we're so busy working that we don't have time to eat and we de facto fast. Why is it so hard to take a day off? We have to be productive. We define ourselves by what we do, by what we produce and what we consume. Did any of you hear The NPR story from the BBC this morning at six. Any of you up? It's really good. When you get home, listen to it. They said this notion of not resting is is a current phenomenon. Other cultures, other periods in history, people rested. They rested much more than we do now. They didn't define themselves by being active, but we define ourselves by our productivity and our consumption. We wouldn't know what to do if we weren't doing something. We have to ask ourselves sometimes how much of our busyness is self-imposed? I mean, who are we playing to? Who is telling us to do certain things? We love our lists. And some people like to to be so productive even after they do something at the end of the day they'll make a list to justify their existence and it's very important for us to justify our existence to prove that we have a place and space on earth to prove that we're important sometimes I wonder if we are busy in the rat race to avoid certain things you know if I'm really busy, I don't have time to do what I really should be doing. If I'm really active and I should be talking to Chris about something, is that just an excuse to avoid Chris? Sometimes is my activity a way of avoiding God? Sometimes is my activity a way of avoiding myself? If I actually took time off and did nothing and i looked at myself might i be terrified to find that nobody's home that i really don't know who i am we have trouble resting the romans used to mock the jews for taking a day off They called the Jews lazy. They weren't productive like Romans. So what is rest? The rabbis say that rest is um, peace, it's tranquility, it's serenity. You know, but even, even if we rest and stop working, we might Not rest, because we're so filled with worry and anxiety. One person has said that rest is not doing what you do the six days of the week, and it's doing something totally different on the seventh day. So if you're an accountant, you don't work with figures, you don't do taxes, you might read. You might garden. If you're a carpenter, you don't don't build anything. You might walk in the woods. It's doing what we don't normally do. And when the rabbis say, don't work, they don't say, don't do anything. There's a lot one can do that isn't work. One can play. One can read. One can... Create one can cook, one can have people over for dinner, one can write letters. It it really surprised me how, how many rabbis talk about making love on the Sabbath. Something you don't do the other six days, apparently. Um, you know, it's it's taking delight in creation. It's enjoying creation. One person who keeps the Sabbath says to me, you don't work, you don't worry, and you don't burden creation. In the Ten Commandments, it not only says, don't work, it says nobody in your household, none of your livestock, nobody works. Give a Sabbath rest to creation, don't burden creation. I think rest begins with a notion of emptiness. We empty ourselves. I, many of you have heard the the um, Buddhist story of the student who went to the master to learn from the master. And the master, for the first lesson, brought out an empty glass and a pitcher of water. The master said to the student, fill the glass. So the student poured into the glass and left about that much at the top and uh, put the pitcher down. And the master said, no, fill the glass. And so the student filled it to the top and the master said, not enough. And the student kept pouring, and the water went all over the table and onto the floor. And the master said, do you understand the lesson? No. Until you empty yourself, you will be full of yourself. And as long as you're full of yourself... I cannot fill you with my teachings. As long as we're full of ourselves with our burdens and our worries and our anxieties and our busyness, we cannot be empty for God to fill us on the Sabbath. Which leads to Sabbath emptiness as a notion of openness. When we're empty, we can be open to be filled by something else. We can be flexible. We can receive. And in this case, on the Sabbath, it's much more blessed to receive than it is to give. Before I came here, I took a um, a a two-month sabbatical. In the discipline, it says every five years, a minister can take up to a three-month sabbatical that the congregation will pay for, Um, and so on. So I I took that sabbatical. And I had to complete a form to be approved. And the form had on it... um, What will you do during your sabbatical? What are your outcomes? How will those outcomes be measured? And I thought, well, that's not much of a sabbatical. (laughs) If I'm already predicting what the outcomes are and how they will be measured, I'm not really empty, and I'm not going to be really in a receptive mode, and I'm not going to be open. So. I just wrote down, I'm going to use those two months to refinish furniture and do crime mo- read crime novels and we'll see what happens. Yeah. But sometimes we program our emptiness so much that we don't receive. The third thing, then, from openness is humility. If I'm not in control and I'm receiving... I'm humble, and I'm turning my life over to something else. Believe it or not, there was a Sunday afternoon in January this year that was nice. I'm sure it snowed and was icy on Sunday morning, but in the afternoon it was nice. And Susan and I went for a walk, and we ended up toward the end of our walk at the veterinary school and crossing that bridge, that footbridge from the veterinary school that goes to um, Drake Union. And as we walked, I noticed there were couples walking hand in hand. There were couples and families At the picnic tables outside Drake Union, there were joggers, there were bicyclists, there were families with strollers, there were people throwing frisbees. And I thought, what a wonderful afternoon this is. Nobody's competing, nobody's justifying their existence, nobody's proving they're better than they are. We're all just receiving the day. It was so non-competitive. It was grace at its best. Except in the winter, I love to walk through Goodale Park on a Sunday afternoon because that's what people are doing. They're just receiving life and grace. And when we're in that rest mode we are grateful. We're not so full of ourselves and not so full of our agenda and so busy proving ourselves that we are grateful and we're thankful and appreciative and that's healthy for any of us. So how do we rest? Jesus says Come unto me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. We don't have to do physical labor to be weary and heavy laden. Come unto me. You know, if Marlene is sitting back at the welcome desk and she says, Come here, John, I would have to stop my sermon and go to her. And when Jesus says, Come unto me, he's saying, Stop what you're doing. Depart from what you're doing. Unplug. I'm interested by how many of you have told me that you're not going to do Facebook during Lent. In a way, that is departing from the routine. It's unplugging. It's stopping. That NPR story this this morning talked about how successful people, one of the marks of a successful person is their ability to frequently say no. They stop. Jesus often in his ministry would say to people, come unto me, come to me. Follow me, which is his way of saying, stop what you're doing. Now, there were people in the Gospels that couldn't stop. I'm too busy. And Jesus gave them the freedom to go away and do what they were too busy to do. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am humble and gentle in heart. Take my yoke. Yoke was a phrase that rabbis used. It was a a common, common thing. If one followed a rabbi, one took the yoke of the rabbi upon himself. The yoke of the rabbi was the rabbi's teachings. So take my teachings upon you. He isn't saying anything that any other rabbi wouldn't say. Take my yoke. Now, those of us who have been in a doctor's office in the last 50 years have gone through probably the magazines in the waiting room, one of which was certainly National Geographic. And if you recall, National Geographic, whenever it covered a third-world country, would have pictures of yokes that animals and people worked under. There's the single yoke, and there's the double yoke. The single yoke, we know, is, is a long board with a cutout for the neck so the, the, the yoke can go around the person's neck, and then it extends, and the weights are balanced on the ends of the yoke. And it's almost always, I don't know if I ever saw a man carrying a yoke, it's always the woman who carries the heavy burden. And is wearied. And usually she has something on her head. And usually she has a child in her arms. But the person under the single yoke is clearly burdened and weighed down. They don't get any help. They're in it alone. And I think of animals on a single yoke. So often you see the person The farmer driving the yoke and driving the oxen and probably whipping it. It's a notion that a person is being bossed around and dictated to. If we think of Jesus' yoke as a single yoke, and many people do, we think of him as a slave driver and a taskmaster, and we are in it alone. And who would want that yoke? Because it's crushing we resist it the other yoke is a double yoke where you have two oxen in the yoke and I'm told that in a double yoke sometimes one ox carries the load and the other t- and other times the other ox does but they share the burden And in a double yoke, there's support, and there's proximity. There's not a notion of being driven. There's a notion of relationship. And in the yoke that Jesus offers, there's support. One is not in it alone, and one is identified with the other person in the yoke. And one goes where that other person goes. And when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he's saying, I'll carry the load. You can identify with me. I'll share the burden. We're going to walk this together. And we're going to go where I go. The Romans made fun of the Jews taking a day of rest. Josephus, the Jewish historian, defended the Jewish practice by saying, we take a day of rest so we can be productive on the other six days. We can produce even more work on the other six days than a Roman can produce in seven days. The rabbis didn't like that explanation. For they didn't want the Sabbath, the day of rest, to be in service of the other six days. They wanted the Sabbath to shape the other six days and change the person. Taking Jesus' yoke is changing yokes. It's coming away. From what burdens us. It's coming away from our busyness. It's coming away from that world that tells us we have to be productive 24-7 and we have to be perfect because the world's judging us. It says, come away from that. It's changing our identity to an identity of Jesus where we're forgiving and loving and caring. So it changes our yoke And it changes our identity. And it changes what we do. With Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus wants Sabbath really not to be one day, but to be seven with our new identity. The bad news in this is that When you're running the rat race, rats don't get a sabbatical. They don't get a day off. The good news in this is that we're not rats. We're children of God. And when we're yoked to Jesus, we're aware who we are. And we're aware that we're children of God and that he's in it with us, not to drive us, but to support him so that the kingdom of God does come on earth. Come unto me. Come apart. Come away. And I will give you rest, for I will be with you. May it be so. Amen.